them the right way. So I'll be preaching through four psalms and then the five chapters of the book of Lamentations. It will take us nine weeks. Um, and Brendan will, I think, introduce the series there on January 3rd. So let's pray before we jump into this week's text. Lord, we are your people. Lord, because you love us, I pray that you'd stand in front of me while I stand in front of them so that they see you and not me. And Lord, I pray that you would speak over me while I talk to them so that they hear you rather than me. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. What do you do uh, that is life-giving? What do you do that is life-giving? When you're exhausted and at the end of it, what do you say? I need to... I like to run. I like to go outside and run. And when I run, I don't think about anything except running. Some people say, oh, it's a great time to really think and pray. I, I don't do any of that. I just run. And I just turn everything off and run. What do you do when you, when you need something life-giving? Another thing I like to do is read. Do you like to read? Yeah. <laughs> I heard a no, a good, strong no. <laughs> I like to read. I also like to relax with friends. What do, what do you like? What is, what is life giving for you? Cook. That's right. I would have said that one, but it didn't start with R. I said reading, <laughs> running, and relaxing. Yes, cooking, though. That, and I bet that's life giving for your husband. I bet he likes it when you cook. I would have said video games, but that didn't start with R. I think that's maybe what some people that live in my house would want to do. Listen to music. Listen to music. Boy, that is helpful. Yeah, listen to music. Sleeping, fishing, yes. Yes, you get the idea. That's stuff that is life-giving. Well, we need stuff that's life-giving because sometimes God asks us to do things that are really hard. So we're going to talk about when God asks us to do things that are really hard. And today, we're going to see how God asked Mary, it's Christmas time, how God asked Mary to do something that is really hard. And you might be thinking about things in your life that God asks you to do that are really hard. When God asks you to go through things that are really hard. God is going to ask Mary to go through some stuff that is really hard. You might be thinking about what you have to go through that's really difficult. And you might be in a spot where you're going, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I don't want to at all. Well, how, how is God life-giving when... He's asking us to do something that's really hard, go through something that's really hard, and we don't want to and we feel like we can't. This is what we'll see today as we go through Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee. So Galilee is a region. You can see it's there north um, of the Sea of Galilee. To a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So for a long time, 
even archaeologists couldn't find anything with the name Nazareth on it. And they found, did find it later on, but, but it is a small town. And they estimate that at the time that Jesus was born, it's about 500 people in the town of Nazareth. Can you think of a town around here that would only have 500 people? Pullman? I have no idea. I'm just taking your word for it. I'm, I was thinking, man, maybe, maybe Hopkinsburg? That's a town, isn't it? Like I, I remember the first time, first time driving to the house that we would buy, that when I was candidating here, going through Hopkins, is it Hopkinsburg or Hopkinsville? Berg, yeah, thank you. And going through there and being like, whoa, we are out in the boondocks. <laughs> it's a small town, okay? And, and this is before TV, this is before social media, this is before newsprint, this is before all of that. And the entertainment was like each other's lives. And you just, that's all you knew is you knew about each other. You knew all of each other's business. This is a small town, really small town. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent. Hey, when have we seen Gabriel before? That's right. Last time we saw Gabriel, he's standing in the nuclear reactor of God's presence in the temple talking to an ancient priest. Now he's showing up to a very different spot. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, just so you can feel this, okay? So Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Betrothed, well, Luke is assuming here something that we might not think of, the customs then, without explaining them, that Mary's father has given his consent for her to marry Joseph, and the bride price has been paid. But Joseph had not taken her to live with him in his household. Mary is very young. She is engaged. Joseph has paid the bride price. Her father has given consent, but they haven't officially gotten married yet. And Joseph is of the house of David. Which Now I'm looking, at, I'm looking for somebody who's shorter than my wife to answer this question. Which David is this? What else do you know about this David? Yeah. That's right. This is the David and Goliath David. That's this David. This is the David that killed Goliath. Okay? And so when, when you read this in the ancient world, you'd be thinking, this is King David. He is in David's line. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, this is the angel Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's terrified of the angel Gabriel, thinking, what is going on? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and be called Son of the Most High. Now, when you and I read that, our mind is automatically goes towards what that means is he will be God. And that's true. But we're kind of skipping a step that for them would have been important. So when they heard, you'll be called son of the Most High, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
and see what that is. So keep your finger in Luke, and you don't, I mean, I, I'm just going to read it for you. But 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is the prophecy that the Lord gives to David. And he gives him this prophecy here in 2 Samuel verse 14 about David's son. Actually, let's start in verse 12. We'll, get a, we'll read the whole thing, and then I'm going to show some references, and you can write them down and refer back to them as we go, but this way you can see it. So 2 Samuel verse 7, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 12. When the days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, Nathan is telling um, David about when David is going to die, King David, giant killing David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his what? Kingdom. Hey, that's what we sang about today. Remember singing about that? Verse 13, And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The promise is that the king will be like God's son. I'll have a relationship with him where it's like I'm his dad and it's like he's my son. And of course, this was about Solomon, but it was beyond that. It was also about Jesus. So we keep reading, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men and with stripes of the sons of men. But with my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, who put it away before you. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Now listen to this because you'll hear this again in just the next couple verses in Luke. Your throne shall be established forever. Now I'd like to read one more for you, and that's Psalm chapter 7. So you can see how these promises are coming true. This is important because you need to know whether or not you can trust God to come through on his promises. So Psalm 2, this is a coronation psalm. When the giant killing David's son would become king, they would read this psalm. And this is why we read in verse 6, Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So I've made this David's son king, set my king on Zion's holy hill. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. That's why I think it's a coronation psalm. They would read when David's, the, someone in the line of David was crowned king. Today, I have begotten you. you. It's like you have become my son. Now, what's the miracle here? The miracle here is that it's not so much that God is taking someone and saying, I'm going to make you my son. It's that God himself is putting himself in Mary's womb and that he will be the son of David, that will be the son of God. It's not just that it's a human king that God says, I'm going to treat you like a son. It's that God is biologically the father. 
he places himself in Mary's womb. And what this means is that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the true King. That he is fully God and fully man, that he is the true King. This will have implications for our lives, but we'll get to in just a minute. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Do you see how that has kingly implications now? And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now you hear that from 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Psalm chapter 2. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now you've heard that several times in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And of his kingdom there will be no end. If we went back to Psalm chapter 2, we would read about his kingdom is without borders because his kingdom is over all the other nations. Jesus is the Son of God. And the miracle is that he came. And this birth was supernatural. And Mary said to the angel, How, can the, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's like she has this moment of, so what are you asking me to do? So, so it's been pointed out that this question is pretty similar to Zechariah's. If you look back in your Bible at verse 18 of chapter 1, you can see Zechariah's question. And he said to the angel, how shall I know this? What is the difference between how will this be since I am a virgin and Zechariah's question of how shall I know this? Well, well, in my mind, Zechariah is asking for proof. Mary's asking about logistics. And so the angel answers her. And the angel answered her, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You're going, this will be beyond what you can do, Mary. And the Holy Spirit will bring about this miracle. It will be all of God. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will call, be called Holy, the Son of God. Because God himself placed himself in Mary's womb. So he would be fully God and fully man, so he would be the true king of all creation. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, also conceived a son and in the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. God is the one that will do this. God will do it from start to finish because God will bring about this salvation. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Was, was that an easy thing that the angel was asking Mary to do, that God was asking Mary to do through the angel? I just I have to believe that would be a very hard thing. I mean, I mean, imagine when, when Mary is starting to show, and she's walking through this town of 500 people, and people are starting to whisper, and, like, she really looks pregnant. So finally someone gets up the courage to ask her, Mary, are you pregnant? She's like, yeah. 
Well, who's the father? God. Who believes that? You know, what's stunning to me is that God tells Mary, and then God tells Joseph, but if I'm Mary, I'm going, there's a lot of people you left out. You could have told a whole bunch more people, and it would have made my life a whole bunch easier. But Mary submits to this. Mary, in a sense, surrenders to this. Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord. I'll do this. Let it be to me according to your will. And I think what, if I could say one thing this text teaches about Christ, it's that he is king. If I could say one thing this text tells us about how you and I are to live, it is in surrender to this Christ who is king. That over our lives, we would say, I am your servant, let it be to me according to your will. So as we surrender to God, we say to God, you are in charge and I am not. As we, as we surrender to God, we say, you are king of my life and I am not. I am your servant, let it be to me according to your will. As we surrender to God, we say, I will obey you in everything right now. This is surrender. This is what Mary models because God is king. As God is king, Mary says, this is how you act. You surrender to God as king. And she does this she does this without giving God conditions. You, you know what it is to surrender with conditions, right? Like, I'll surrender if you let us, you know, like, like if you had one country negotiating terms of surrender with the other country, they'd say, well, we'll surrender as long as you leave the borders where the borders have always been. Or we'll surrender as long as you let us keep our jobs. Or we'll surrender as long as you let us keep our wealth. Or we'll surrender as long as you let us this... Or that, while well, Mary surrenders without condition. She just surrenders. Have you, have you surrendered to God as king of your life? Have you said, God, you're in charge and I'm not? Wherever it is you lead, I'll follow? Have you? So, Brendan has been following along a, a blog by a guy the name of uh, Tim Challies. And he recently had his adult son pass away. And it, it, the best I can understand it, it's like an adult version of SIDS. Like, it, it's just, he all of a sudden passed away while he was playing a game with his, with, I think it was with his brother and or his sister, some, some family and friends. He just died. And this has left Tim just, Tim Challies just reeling. And so he writes this about, about surrender and about submission. He writes this. Because look, I, I just want you to know that you're not always going to feel like you want to surrender. 
you're not going to feel like you want to submit to the will of God. So I want to read this to you so that you can feel it. And he says, he says this, Before life was easy because God's sovereignty always seemed to be inclined toward the things that I wanted anyway. Like it's pretty easy to surrender when the king tells you to do something you want to do. But now life is hard because I see that God's sovereignty may also be inclined toward the things I dread. The things I would not wish for. But I've chosen to submit myself to that sovereignty. To continue to pray, thy will be done. But even as I pray, I cringe a little. I pray the words with little faith. And with some hesitation. Even as I say the words, at least for now... I feel some measure of dread. For I know that he will work his will, his good will, no matter what it gives to me or takes from me. It's not surrender if you only submit when you like the direction that God is taking you. It's truly surrender when you submit, when you're terrified to submit to God's will. That's how you know you're surrendering. That's how you know you're placing your life in God's hands and you're obeying him with your whole heart. When you're obeying him, when you're terrified to obey him. How, how can we do this? How can we surrender to God without condition? Like, that's, that doesn't even seem like a good thing to do, does it? How can we do this? Well, I'd like to read to you from Luke chapter 23. Remember, with this series, what, I, what I'd like to do is show you the Christmas story and then show you how it relates to the end of the book, the climax of the book and the end of the book. And I really think this will help you put some pieces together here. So remember what, we, what this passage taught us. It taught us that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we think Son of God, we should also be thinking King of all creation. And so when Jesus is being crucified, when the book is climaxing and Jesus is dying on the cross, this is what we read. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the God's king, if he is the rescuer king, if he is the Messiah, the messianic king, if that's truly him, if he is God's chosen one, let him save himself. But you know, because he's king, and because he's decided to save us, he would refuse to save himself. This, this is who you're surrendering to. The king who refuses to save himself so that he can save you. The Romans, the Romans say something extremely similar, but they put it in Roman. And they say this, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
The book begins with a prophecy. Mary, you will have a son and he will be the true king of the whole world in David's line. He will be the true king of the Jews and the king of the Jews, the king of the whole world. And it ends, it climaxes with him being the king of the Jews who refuses to save himself so that he could save the whole world. You remember the sign that's nailed over, nailed over his head. And there's also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. When you're afraid to obey, when you're afraid to say, God, you are king and I am not. You are in charge and I am not. When you're afraid of that, when that fills you with dread, remember what he does with power. Remember that he did not exempt himself from suffering. Remember that he came voluntarily, walked towards Jerusalem voluntarily, died on the cross for our sins voluntarily. Remember that he suffered in our place. This is the king that you are surrendering to. Surrender without conditions. And I'm saying this, this takes practice. This is not an easy thing to learn. I'm saying this is an extremely hard thing to learn. It's not like something you pray once and then you've got for the rest of your life. A little while ago, I was, uh, well, quite a few years ago, I guess, I was an intern at Maple Lawn Baptist Church. Some of you have heard of that church. It's up on the south side of Grand Rapids. And one of the jobs I had was to go and get this missionary. And, and I can't remember, I can't remember the country that he served in, but I think it was India. And I was, my job to go get him, because he was staying in the north side of town, and take him out for dinner, and then bring him to prayer meeting. And so uh, I, I showed up at his house, or the, per, the house he was staying at, you know, he gets in the car and he wants to find a good curry restaurant. I'm in grad school and I'm trying not to borrow money. Like, I have no, I don't eat out ever, and I, let alone curry, you know, but I, we, you know, we did our best and found some, a curry food restaurant, so we had curry, and then, and then we get on the, es you know, we're on 131, we're driving to the south side of of Grand Rapids, and I remember looking over at him, and him clutching the seat, and then I had like one of those handles on the, because it was a really low car, so you grab the handle and then kind of ease yourself into the seat, and he's got that, and he's got the seat, and he's just, he's just over there just petrified, just terrified, and, and I look over at him just like this, and he's like, you need to slow down, and, and I realized He's waiting for a goat to walk out in the middle of the road, you know? Or, or he's waiting for us to come around the S-curve and see a semi just straight across the road and us just plow into it. He is not used to driving that fast where he comes from. But I think as, as he would ride with me longer, I think he'd learn to see that these roads are, are different. You could go different speeds here than you can in in the country maybe where he came from. And, and if I could draw a picture of this, this is the picture that I would draw. You know, he trusted me enough to get into the car. 
and, but he's still learning to trust me enough to keep riding with me or to let me drive or to trust the way that I'm driving. So he kind of trusts me, but not really. And I just think the longer we do this, the more he would trust me. Can you put any relationship between that and trusting God? God says, it's all my money. You going to honor me with it? God says, all your time is yours. I mean, all, my, all your time is mine. Are you going to honor me with it? And you say, okay, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you. It's hard to trust God. It's terrifying to trust God. But as you do it and as you submit to him, you, you learn to trust him because you see he comes through on his promises again and again and again and again. So will you, will you surrender to him in the daily obedience of life? I'm saying this is something that is learned. This is something that takes practice. This is something that you get better at. But it's also something you have to relearn again and again and again. Remember we talked about how sometimes things are hard for a long time. And you just wonder if, if you can do this or if you're doing the right thing. And I think it would be helpful for us to look at a guy who stayed on mission and things were hard for quite some time. And, and so if you, if you would turn with me, keep your finger in Luke if you'd like, but I, I want to read to you from the end of the book of Acts. The end of the book of Acts. This is how the book of Acts ends. As the Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison, actually under house arrest in Rome, verse 30, and he lived there two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. He can't go to them anymore because he's under house arrest. Verse 31 is what I'm aiming at. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. Luke begins, there is a king who is about to be born. And Acts ends with the Apostle Paul proclaiming his kingdom in Rome. I believe Paul gave his life to proclaiming this kingdom because he believed living a life completely surrendered to God was the most life-giving thing he could do that inviting other people into the kingdom of God where they surrender to God was the most life-giving thing they could do. That this is what brought the most glory to God when people fully surrender to him and say to him, I trust you with my whole life. I trust you with stuff I'm afraid to trust anyone else with. 
That brings glory to God, and it gives us life. Look, I like, I like to run. I like to read. I like to relax with friends. But if I'm not fully surrendered to God, there's this low-grade stress all the time. There's this low-grade guilt, this low-grade anger all the time because I'm not fully surrendered to Christ who is king. I really believe this is true for you too. If you're living life not fully surrendered to God, you're going to have this angst or this unease, this underlying sense that things are not okay. This is what I'd want for each of you. I'd want you to spend our time before the Lord's table looking at your life saying, I will fully surrender to Christ every inch of my life. I will do this because he died for me. So whatever he wants me to go through, I will go through. Whatever he wants me to do, I will do. I will surrender him, and I will practice surrendering to him, and I will confess the times that I don't surrender to him. I want you to do this because I believe it's the best way to live. That the way Jesus taught us to pray does teach us the best way to live. The way that gives glory to God, the way that gives life to us, and it's hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Because you're king and I'm not. And your will be done because your will is better than mine. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for each one here. Lord, that you would tenderly pull them towards yourself. Tenderly align their wills with yours. Work in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.